would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. And once again, we'll read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 23. Uh, this is one I, uh, as I started studying it, we could have probably split it up a couple of different ways, but we're going to take the whole chapter. I wanted the whole story all at once. And, and what we started with a couple of weeks ago with, was the story of Joseph, actually the generations of Jacob as it said in chapter 37. And we started with Joseph, but then last week in chapter 38, uh, there was that sordid tale of Judah and what happened uh, with him. And, and now we turn our attention back to Joseph. So uh, let me just get you caught up on some things with Joseph here. When we left him back in chapter 37, uh, he was somewhat uh, arrogant, uh, self-centered maybe, a little uh, proud of uh, the, these dreams that he had had. In fact, uh, in chapter 37, we found that his brothers hated him and really hated him. It said it three times. They hated, hated, hated him. Uh, they couldn't even speak pleasantly to him or peacefully even with him. Uh, Jacob, his father who loved him, even rebuked him in chapter 37 as he told this dream. He had a, actually had a couple of dreams about how uh, the, the rest of the family was going to bow down to him. And apparently he was a little proud in telling them that dream. Uh, then the moment of reckoning, if you will, came uh, for the 17-year-old Joseph at the time when his brothers sold him to some traders, which is actually a good thing because their original plan was to kill him. But instead, they had sold him to uh, some traders who then went to Egypt. And at the end of chapter uh, 37, in fact, the very last verse, uh, it leaves us with they sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And that's where we pick up the story now of Joseph in chapter 39. So let me read uh, Genesis 39, starting at verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garments in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garments in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The word of the Lord. I know I've uh, mentioned just in passing, uh, in the past, uh, these books that I remember as a schoolboy, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And if you don't remember those, what they were is is they started, and it was a, a pretty short beginning, Usually it would be just a, a short page, and that was the start of your story. And then at the end of that page, you had a decision to make. Did you want to, uh, and there were several different ones, but did you want to go into the cave and search or climb up on a hill? Or, uh, there were many, some were in the sea and some were on mountains. They were, they were all over. There were several books, but, but at the end of every page, you had to make a decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to do option A or option B? And then you would turn to that page and you would, you would choose your own adventure that way. And in a reading class, I remember uh, the teacher would have us do this at the end of class. As, as a class, we would read it and then make the decision and then the next person would, would read on. And, and there was one boy in the class that always really got into it and, and when someone made the decision that finally got us killed, he would say, you killed us! And, oh, and so then we'd have to back up a few decisions, you know, and do it again if we had time. And, and I, always, I remember thinking, uh, wouldn't it be great if you could go back a few decisions and, and start all over? You know, let me go back to that decision, because that one ended up bad, and, and, and try again. But when we look at, at Joseph here, what we can clearly see is that he is not in a choose-your-own-adventure book. I mean, he had handled things poorly. Uh, I mentioned that. He was a little bit arrogant, a little bit boastful, perhaps. But think of all the people around him that have been making decisions for him, basically. His father was actually the one who showed him great favor to the annoyance of his brothers. 
His, his father was quite vocal in saying how much more he liked Joseph than all the rest of them. In fact, he gave him this great coat that he didn't give anybody else. His brothers were the ones that sold him to the traders. Now, granted, you know, maybe Joseph was a little uh, proud of, of the fact that he was the favored son, but, but still, the brothers didn't need to sell him to traders to take him all the way to Egypt, and he ends up in Egypt, and, and the traders there sell him to an Egyptian officer, this guy named Potiphar, whose name gets mentioned a couple of times, and, and it seems as though Joseph is almost just kind of along for the ride here. He's, he's, everyone else is making decisions for him. However, despite all of those people doing things, we see that there's a bigger, more powerful hand at work here. In verse 2, where it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And it's interesting that this chapter mentions the Lord so much. When you look at the entire story of, of the generations of Jacob, or this, this Joseph story, if you will, that, that word Lord, and if you look in your Bibles, it's probably all in uppercase letters, and that means that it's, it's the word we would maybe say Yahweh, it's the, the divine name, the holy, powerful name of God, the, the name that Jewish people won't even say. Uh, it, it's the, the powerful, uh, wonderful uh, name of God. And, and that name is mentioned uh, in chapter 38, just a, a few times. It's mentioned once in chapter 49. But other than that, this is the only chapter that even uses that name. That name, Lord. And it's all over this chapter. You see it in, in verse 2, and you see it in verse 3 a couple of times. You see it in verse 5 a couple of times. You see it in verse 21 and a couple of times in, in verse 23. It's, it's, uh, it's all over in this chapter. And we see the, the results of the Lord's presence uh, for Joseph here in verses uh, 1 through 6, or that, that first part of verse 6. We see that Joseph is a successful man because the Lord is with him. In, in verse 3, even the master, uh, who is a pagan, even he can see uh, the Lord's hand is, is working here and, and the Lord is, is doing something through Joseph because everything works out when Joseph is around. And, and a, couple, a few things actually happen as, as uh, Joseph goes through uh, this time being with, with his master. First of all, in verse 2, we see that he's in the house of his Egyptian master, of, of Potiphar, as opposed to in the fields, because uh, he probably started in the field, but then the favored servants, they move into the house. They're, they're the good ones. But even more than that, he got to be overseer of the house in verse 4. So he had some responsibility. But then it even gets better than that in verse 6. All was put in Joseph's charge. Uh, literally in the Hebrew, that it says in Joseph's hand, and, and that's actually a very strong word, uh, that it's in Joseph's hand. That means he has overall responsibility. Anything that happens in that house, he's in charge of it. And 
in the house and even in the field. We see that in verse 5. And the Lord's blessing is on all of this, in the house and in the field, and Joseph is, is in charge of all of it. And his master, in verse 6, we see he has no concerns except about what he wants to eat. He can sit there thinking, do I want the steak, do I want the lobster, or do I want both? Let's go with both. That's all he has to worry about. And it's, it's somewhat of an idiom for his private affairs. Basically, the only thing he had to concern himself with was what he wanted to concern himself with. And I'm thinking, you know, if this is a choose-your-own-adventure book, Potiphar, he chose a pretty good adventure here. Sitting around, not having to worry about anything. And even Joseph, when you, all things considered, he, he's away from his family. They're, they're a long way away, especially the father who loves him. And these dreams that he had about ruling over his brothers, well, apparently they're going to go unfulfilled because his brothers are nowhere near. But, but all things considered, you know, Joseph is on a pretty good adventure right now as well. I mean, this is a good plan B to be in charge of, of this, this rich man's house, basically. He had a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, that he could do. And he appears to have grown through this time. But as we find out, Joseph uh, is clearly not on that uh, choose-your-own-adventure book. Because, again, something happens to him. He makes a good decision, but his adventure isn't quite what he was hoping for. And we see that in, in verses 6 through 18. Uh, at the end of verse 6, we see that he's a, a good-looking young man. Um, and, and by the way, this is just a side note, he gets his looks from his mother uh, because Rachel, in, in Genesis uh, 29, uh, 17, she's described in these very same Hebrew words. Sometimes they get translated, they'll call him handsome and, and her beautiful, but it's actually the same Hebrew word, this, this double accolade in form and appearance, and they're the only two people in the whole Old Testament that that get that double accolade. So they must have been really good-looking people. But, but Joseph, uh, as most good-looking people do, get their looks from their mother, and, and he's a good-looking guy, which leads to some problems because there's a wife of Potiphar's in the house, and she likes the way Joseph looks. And we see that in verse 7, that, that after uh, some time had passed, and, and how long, we don't know. Joseph, as I mentioned, probably started in the field and then uh, got noticed out there and then went into the house and got noticed and rose through the ranks there. And, and so some time has passed, and, and so it wasn't like just this one time she said, lie with me. You notice in verse 10 that she's been saying it day after day. This is an ongoing issue uh, that Joseph has been dealing with, uh, with Potiphar's wife day after day. And his refusal is admirable. And it takes three levels, basically. In verse 8, he says, well, I'm not going to betray the trust shown to me. I mean, here I am in charge of everything. I've been trusted with a lot of things. I'm not going to betray that trust, nor am I going to offend my master. In verse 9, you're his wife. You're the only thing that I'm not in charge of here, and I'm not going to uh, offend him 
by doing anything with you. And then also in verse 9, the, the third part of his, his refusal is, and I'm certainly not going to sin against God. I'm not going to sin against God uh, by doing what you want to do. Joseph knows it's the Lord who has been the reason for his success, and it'd be foolish uh, to sin against him. And, and notice... Uh, Notice uh, when the disciples, you know, they would ask Jesus, what, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus would say, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And, and Joseph nailed that. It's exactly what he's doing. And Jesus would speak parables about, you know, the, the wise servant and the faithful servant. And, and Joseph, he's doing all of that. It's a, it's a great reply. And then in verse 10, I, I read this story for years and years before I even noticed in verse 10. Uh, what she does when she says, lie beside me. It, it, there's a, a subtle, just a subtle word. I, I didn't notice it for a long, long time. Lie beside me. And, and I like how subtle that is because that's how temptation is often very subtle. Basically, uh, she's saying this, okay, if I can't get you to commit an outright sin... Let's start with a compromise and see where that goes. And often in these types of situations, that's exactly where it starts. Let's just start with a compromise. Just lie beside me. And we'll see where that goes. And Joseph was able to see through that and refuse that. Well, finally her patience runs out. And she does something about it. And then we get uh, three... Uh, three kind of versions, if, if you want to use that. Uh, three different uh, looks at what happened then. We get what really happened, and then we get a lie, and then we get a little twist on the lie. Well, first of all, let's take a look at what really happened here. We see that in verses uh, 11 and 12, uh, that Joseph is in the house, there's nobody else around, and my translation reads that she caught him by his garment. And uh, the Hebrew, you could actually translate that grab. And, and I like the word grab a little better because it shows uh, some force. And that's, that's what she was doing. There was some force involved here. She's pursuing him and there's nothing subtle about it. She grabs him so that when he goes away, she's still hanging on to the garment. There was some, some force involved here, and so he runs out, and then she sees, well, he's gone, and I have this garment. And so then she comes up with this lie. And so here's what she says happens to the, the servants. We'll start with them in verses uh, 13 through 15. First thing she does is try to get some sympathy uh, from these uh, servants or the, the men of the house, however it is in your Bible, uh, because here, her husband, he has brought, that's her husband that he has brought, this, this guy that he has brought. Look, I'm, I'm just this poor, innocent girl, she's basically saying, and, and my husband brought this guy in. And, and not only that, but this Hebrew. It's a little xenophobic here. It, it's a Hebrew. She doesn't use the word servant. It's a Hebrew that Hebrew guy. And look what he tried to do. She's trying to elicit the, the sympathy by mentioning the husband and, and rage by mentioning that he's a Hebrew. 
And she wants to turn them all against Joseph, this Hebrew man. But then uh, she's got her husband to tell. And, and so she changes things a little bit, and it's almost, uh, to me, a little comical in verses 16 uh, through 18, uh, where she, she creates the crime scene. She can't recreate it. There was no crime, but she kind of creates the crime scene. She puts the garment there, and, and I'm sure she was probably trying, okay, how can I look really distressed and, and distraught? And, and, and so uh, her husband comes in. She, she wants him to be angry, too. And so uh, she does mention, again, that Joseph is a Hebrew, but only to describe that he's a servant, it's not the Hebrews so much, but now it's one of those servants. And if you note in verse 19, that's, that's what enraged him, is that it was a servant. She kind of is playing the class thing here. How can a servant do this? And then she mentions to him that, that you have brought in here, by the way, so you need to do something about it. Well, her lie works. I'm sure she had everybody angry at Joseph at this point, and Joseph ends up in prison. We see that in verse 20. And so let's just stop here and take a look at Joseph's life story to this point. Where we started in chapter 37 to where we are right now. Joseph started as a son, became a servant, now he's a prisoner. There's where Joseph's life is going. And when Joseph was sold by his brothers, you know, perhaps he was a little brash. But we look at this and we say, well, what did Joseph do wrong here? He did exactly what he was supposed to do. How does he end up in prison doing the right thing? Well, there are many points we could take here, but let me uh, just focus on one and, and then what we can uh, take from that. Because this is something that happens in our lives all the time. Just like Joseph, we have decisions that we have to make, but we don't really get to choose the adventure. You know, Joseph made the wise choice. He really did. But when you look at what's happening to Joseph at the, at the risk of offending people who would try to teach you otherwise, when we look at what's happening to Joseph, he's not living his best life now. He's not naming and claiming anything. He's a prisoner. He's falsely accused, he's been slandered, and he's in prison. But I don't want us to miss the blessing in this story. And not only the fact that, that this is going to work to bring Joseph in, in contact with someone from Pharaoh's house and that Joseph will eventually uh, be second in command over the whole nation rather than just a household, that's coming. But I want to look at, at the blessing at present as Joseph sits in prison right there because the real blessing right now is that Joseph isn't dead. The crime that, that he's accused, or that she's accusing him of, that's punishable by death, especially for a Hebrew Egyptian. He should be dead. And biblical scholars, they love to dwell on these things and wonder, well, why isn't he dead? You know, did, did Potiphar 
not really believe his wife 100%? Was there something in her story? I don't know. She's told stories before. Or, or maybe he just had uh, some great compassion for Joseph. We don't know his mindset. It's fun to speculate, but we don't know his mindset. But we do know the ultimate answer of why Joseph is even alive because, as this chapter is telling us, the Lord was with Joseph. This is the one chapter in his whole, whole story here that keeps telling us over and over that the Lord was with Joseph. Even when he's in prison in verse 21, in verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. And the word of comfort in this is, is that the Lord is with us everywhere. No matter what happens, the Lord is with us. But the word of warning in this passage is that the Lord is choosing the adventure. The Lord is taking us where he needs us. And we are to make the most godly decisions that we can. Do all these things that, that Joseph actually did. Pursue righteousness. Flee from sin. Live above reproach. The Bible tells us that's how we are to live. We make the, the wisest, most godly decisions we can. But the Lord is going to determine the outcome. And that's true for all people. But as Christians, we are acutely aware of that fact. And that's why uh, we do look at Scripture so much. And, and we do go to God in prayer so much and ask for his guidance and, and ask for him to help us to see the, the, the snares out there, to, to see the, that subtle sin, that, that compromise that, that we might be willing to make. Because we do have decisions to make, but it's God who's going to determine what happens. And it affects how we live. It's why the Apostle Paul would say things like in, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul would say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the Lord will take us in places where we think, what is happening? But even in that, Paul was able to say, but you know what? He loved me and gave himself up on a cross for me to die for my sins. And that's why when Paul himself was in prison, in, in Philippians, he writes to the Philippians and he's in prison at the time and he tells them, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He was able to see beyond his own circumstances and say, you know what, I've been faithful to God and here's, what, here's where he has me. And I don't get to write the story, but I get to serve him with the decisions I make in this story. And I love how this chapter ends. The, the very last sentence, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. He was talking about Joseph here. The Lord made it succeed. Because they're almost ironic words. You look at this and you say, he's in prison. How is this a success story? 
Well, here's how it's a success story. Every time we're obedient to God, it's a success story. Because we all have a sin nature. Our nature would be to be like Joseph was, to be brash, to be arrogant, to go our own way, to, to pleasure ourselves in whatever way we want. Every time we can be obedient to God, it's a success story. And if I can build a little bit off of what we talked about last week where God uses changed people and we see how Joseph has changed and God's going to use this for his glory. God is going to save his people. We sometimes look at success completely wrong. This is the outcome. I must have done something wrong. But success is defined by, are we being obedient to God? doesn't matter what the result is. Am I being obedient to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you remind us that you are in charge. And in those reminders that you love us, and that you are directing our steps. We thank you that you've shown us these people who were obedient, and yet the outcome wasn't great. The immediate outcome wasn't great, because there's so much in this world that wants us to go a certain direction, might slander us, might call us names, but Heavenly Father, success is determined by our obedience to you. Help us be successful, Heavenly Father. Help us to be bold in our witness to you and our walk with you, knowing that wherever you take us, it is for your glory. And help us to make those wise decisions in all of our choices. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you will, stand and turn to hymn 356. We'll sing Under His Wings. <laughs>